guess or should I guess some more? Well, you was going 55 in the 54. Uh -huh. Lost in the registration and step out of the car. You carrying a weapon on you, I know a lot of you are. I ain't stepping out of shit, all my papers legit. Well, do you mind if I look around the car a little bit? Well, my glove compartment is locked, so it's the trunk in the back. And I know my rights, so you gon' need a warrant for that. <laughs> Aren't you sharp to attack? Or something, somebody important or something. I ain't passed the ball, but I know a little bit enough that you wanna legally search my shit. Well, we'll see how smart you are when the K9 comes. Hit me! Alright, alright. Welcome to Reasonable Doubts, episode 90. Can you believe we're on episode 90? Now, I, of course, am Hillsdale's most trusted and beloved lawyer. I bring unique perspective as someone who believes in freedom, but also as a lawyer that doesn't just give you some mainstream take. Instead, what I do, I cut through the lies, the endless gaslighting we face, and of course, the downright BS to bring you the truth. And I really do appreciate all of your support, my thought criminals, those of you that subscribe, that share the show with your friends, and of course, those of you that put your money where your mouth is, and make that contribution so we can keep this show going. You guys know I'm incredibly busy, but I still take the time to make this show for you guys. Uh, so anything you do to help is much appreciated. And I do got a good show for you for you guys today, so uh, let's just get it rolling. So today's show, I'm going to be talking about a topic I've been following relatively closely as of late, and that's the Trump indictment. It's been all over the news, so I'm sure you look forward to hear my takes on it and let you know kind of what's really going on, because there's a lot here. Of course, you're not going to see or hear how just utterly uh, absurd and corrupt so much of this is from anyone on the mainstream media. And as a lawyer who prides myself on bringing you guys the truth, I feel very well suited to bring and discuss this topic with you guys. There is a lot to unpack here. I mean, the guy is really getting screwed seven ways to Sunday, just on so, so many different angles, and I'm going to touch on a lot of that uh, here for you. I've listened to several legal experts discuss this from across the political spectrum, so this isn't going to be some biased take here. A lot of people in the legal community who are honest, at least, are able to point out all the things wrong with this even though so many do suffer from Trump derangement syndrome. But I'm going to summarize some of the major developments, the legal and constitutional issues here at play, and of course throw in my thoughts on the matter. It really is telling that you have so many individuals with knowledge that they're no fan of Trump, but they will say this indictment is just a phony, baloney piece of horseshit, which of course it is. And... Of course, if the defendant's name was not Donald J. Trump, there would be no indictment or prosecution here. I can guarantee you that. And the crazy thing and the telling thing about this is that no one can find an analogous case in the history of New York, where this one's being prosecuted, or even in the entire United States. Very telling. That's how absurd all of this is. There's so many issues with this prosecution on factual, legal, and constitutional grounds here, and that's what I'm going to break down for you guys here in today's show. So I'll set the table here just with some background, make sure we're on the same page. What's a grand jury and how does it work? So Mr. Trump was indicted by a state grand jury in the state of New York. 
In the federal system and in many states in the United States, felonies have to be indicted by a grand jury. That's what kicks off the process. A grand jury meets in secret. There's no judge in the room. This is where the prosecutor makes his case to the grand jury with state's witnesses or federal witnesses on why the why the uh, grand jury should listen to the prosecutor and indict the defendant. The grand jury then votes, and if they indict, the prosecutor gets an indictment from the grand jury and proceeds with arrest of the criminal defendant. So in Michigan, that's not how we do things, and I know that's where I practice, and that's where I know a lot of you listeners are from, so just wanted to make sure to uh, explain that process. In this case, there are 23 grand juries. It only takes 12 to indict, so you just need a simple majority. Uh, the grand jury typically does do what the prosecutor wants. That's just the fact of the matter. Uh, the standard there is only probable cause. Now, there is a benefit to defense attorneys having the grand jury is because before the criminal trial, the jury trial, the prosecutor, or sorry, the defense attorney gets the transcript and the testimony of the witnesses that were before the grand jury. So as a defense attorney, you now have a roadmap of what these witnesses said to the grand jury. If the witness then comes and says something different to the trial jury, now you have a way to impeach that witness. Impeachment means just to call into question what the witness said and try to show to the jury that the witness is not believable from what's called a prior inconsistent statement. So the defense attorney showing a prior inconsistent statement to impeach before a trial jury um, then calls into question that witness's credibility. The indictment here lists 34 counts. It's essentially the same paragraph over and over 34 times. It's a complete bare bones indictment. What is President Trump even being indicted on? This is whether the book entry on an internal corporate ledger consistently disclosed the contents of an internal non-disclosure agreement that requires you not to disclose it, and whether the victim of extortion listed he was the victim of extortion on his internal business records. <laughs> Can you see how absurd that is? So in indicting Trump, Alan Bragg is what he's essentially trying to do is somehow using as the basis of an uncharged and unprosecuted federal crime in state court to goose up a state misdemeanor into a state felony. Now, I have never heard of that. There's two issues here at play. First, taking a federal crime and prosecuting it in state court. Now, the feds in the Southern District of New York already threw this out because they said there wasn't a basis for this. But the second issue, then, is taking the misdemeanor to try to move it up to a felony. Now, I've never heard of those things, and other legal experts I've heard comment also said it was very odd, very bizarre. They've never heard of it either. This is essentially the uh, New York City-style shell game, because the indictment itself, it doesn't list any crime. It says conspiracy to commit a crime, but it doesn't list what the crime is. So, can New York prosecute you for what you put in your own books? No. No, the statute says it's a misdemeanor to do so with intent to defraud someone else.
What does that mean? That means the intent to defraud someone else has to be combined with some other fraudulent act. That's why what you keep in your own books does not count as any type of crime unless you plan to do with it something fraudulent to someone else. So the context where that would be relevant is, say, an accounting firm audit, a government agency audit, or something like that. Really doesn't make a lot of sense in the context we're looking at it here. And as I've explained to you guys in other shows, the mens rea is typically an element in most crimes. Intent is one of those mens reas. It's the highest one. Um, so he, in a, this type of crime, intent is an element that the government has to prove beyond a reasonable doubt to get a conviction. It's, with all that being said, it's abundantly clear what the government's doing here. They're leaving this just vague enough so they can tr change their strategy as this case goes along. So at first, maybe they're saying this is related to election law and that's the uh, conspiracy crimes Trump committed. But, hey, maybe that goes wrong. And so then now the government's going to say, oh, no, this is related to taxes. They can't even decide what the other crime is they're claiming President Trump committed. 34 charges is the same charge 34 different times. But as Professor Jonathan Turley said, 34 times zero is still zero. Now, why do they put 34 counts if it's essentially one or two crimes they're actually even alleging here? And like I said, these crimes lack credibility on their own, but to put the same ones 34 times makes it even more absurd. Well, it's to bolster it in front of a jury. You go in front of a jury, bring one or two charges. Okay, well, that's one thing. But you go in there and you read 34 counts and there's kind of that shock factor of the jury. Like, oh man, maybe this guy did something really bad. Um, but that's the game they're playing. What's going on here? The government is using campaign finance laws to attack people they disagree with. Violating a campaign finance law must be for the purpose of influencing a campaign. The First Amendment protects the right to put as much money as you want into your own campaign. Due process provides that you must receive fair notice before you're charged with a crime. The rule of lenity in criminal cases, which is also part of due process, uh, it limits the scope of criminal charges to something a person could have fair notice for what they could have even been charged for. So what does that mean, reading everything together? That means... Violating the campaign finance laws has to be the sole purpose of these acts for that law to be constitutional. So why didn't they allege that in the indictment, that this is specific to campaign finance laws? Because the entire case could fall apart. Now they're implying that Stormy Daniels was paid with the sole purpose of influencing an election. Of course, we know that's very unlikely to be the case. The purpose of payments could be for legal services. It could be to protect Trump's reputation. It could be for the commer commercial purpose to protect the brand of Trump. Trump's brand is his biggest asset. So it makes a lot of sense why he would go to great lengths to protect that. It could be to protect his wife and children and their reputations. See, if any of these things are, are the case... The entire indictment falls apart because then you don't have the sole purpose to violate campaign finance law.
switching the theory of the case is um, really, really a screwed up thing to do. It violates Trump's rights under the grand jury clause, both under the New York and the federal constitution. And if you go all the way back to Rittenhouse case, and I did do a podcast on that, I discussed um, in the middle of that case, the prosecution switched up their theory of the case and Rittenhouse's lawyer rightfully went berserk and, you know, he's throwing his hands up. They got to send the jury out. They got to argue it. He's, he's hot. And, and rightfully so. It violates a defendant's due process because what you're basically saying is the entire thing we charged this defendant with, now we're, now we're kind of changing our story as new facts come out because now they're more convenient. It's a blatant due process violation. And it could have been a mistrial right then and there. I, I think his lawyer did not argue for a mistrial as a strategic matter. Because if they had a mistrial, they could still come back and have to do another trial. I think he saw the way it was going, and he was confident enough they would get that acquittal, which, of course, they did. Um, but there was a lot of discussion whether he would go for a mistrial in that case after the prosecution switched their theory of the case. Of course, all kinds of screwed up things happened with that case, too. But that's essentially what the government is trying to set the grounds for here in the case against Mr. Trump. Again... Here, there is no intent to defraud someone else. Without the intent, there's no crime. Another issue at play here is when can you indict a former president? Well, the Constitution answers that question. It's in the same clause that discusses removing uh, a federal official from office. It says upon impeachment and conviction. And then after that, you can indict, try, and convict that former federal official. Why did the founders do this? Well, to stop any any old local prosecutor from weaponizing the law um, against a, a duly and constitutionally elected um, officer. There's a process for removing them, but we're not going to have it where you can just do it willy-nilly, kind of like they're trying to do here. Um, but then and only then can you indict a former president, at least under the Constitution. Now, in the case here against President Trump, Of course, this didn't come, this indictment, it didn't come after impeachment and conviction. He was impeached twice on bogus charges, but he was not convicted even once. The allegations that they're now throwing at Mr. Trump were known at the time of these proceedings. This stems from back in either 2016 or 2017. So the failure to include these allegations in the earlier impeachments, that right there arguably violates uh, Mr. Trump's double jeopardy. Because they had that information, they could have put in those impeachments, and they chose not to, to save it to come at him on a later date. I mean, the Southern District of New York, which is no friend of Trump, okay, they're one of the most political districts in the country, They looked at these charges, and they also thought they were bullshit. They threw them out. The FEC, also a very political organization, they admitted and acknowledged that Trump did nothing that violated federal election law. This is clearly political, and this is clearly brazen on top of it. When you have those kind of actors saying, yeah, sorry, we love we love to go after Trump, but we can't on this. Oh, what are some other issues? There's no reliable witness to put in front of a jury. Michael Cohen, 
is a perjurer. He's repeatedly lied, changed his story based on whatever's convenient and whatever he has to do to try to limit the time he's going to spend in jail and to save himself. So that's the credibility of the government's only witness here. There's no violation in spending your own money to influence an election. As I said, it's a First Amendment right. That's what that Citizens United case is all about. Because saying you can't put your own money into an election, that violates your right to freedom of speech, your political affiliations. So there's no violation there. Some other uh, tomfoolery going on with this case uh, involves the judge. What's the judge like? There is no plausible chance that this judge was just randomly assigned to the case. He presided over previous uh, Trump organization cases in the past. So he's supposed to be, the judges are, are supposed to be randomly assigned. But there's a trick used in the New York system, and that's actually what they used in the Roger Stone case. If you remember that a couple years ago. In the New York system, if it's considered a related case, so you have the same issue against the same defendant, and it's pending before another judge, then they could say, well, it's a related case because they're just so factually and legally intertwined. And the concept for this is to prevent judge shopping. But in in the case here with President Trump, uh, clearly these previous cases with the Trump organization had nothing to do with Stormy Daniels. So the prosecutor is effectively abusing the related case rules to try to stack the deck even more against Mr. Trump. So why would the prosecutor want to handpick this judge? Well, the judge is a longtime Democrat. The judge has vocally, publicly, and personally attacked the Trump organization in previous court proceedings. And hmm, the judge's daughter is a key Kamala Harris campaign advisor. Yup, just completely random, isn't it? <laughs> What else is going on in this case is that anyone who discusses the corruption of the system and what's going on against President Trump is being attacked. Uh, this happened actually to Eric Trump and Donald Trump Jr. All they did was share an article. They had nothing to do with writing it, pictures in it, and they were threatened for this, as many others are. And there was a lot of talk that the judge would place a gag order on President Trump. He's obviously a vocal guy. Obviously, he's throwing shade left and right, which I don't really think helps his case, but He's Donald Trump, so he's going to do what he wants. He's not going to listen to his lawyers on that. Um, but a gag order would absolutely violate his First Amendment rights. The judge didn't do that because it would have been highly unconstitutional. And higher courts would have likely gotten involved, struck, struck down the gag order, and that possibly could have unraveled the entire case getting higher courts uh, involved so early in it. So the judge was politically savvy here. He was politically savvy enough not to order a gag, but he did threaten Trump from the bench saying, well, you better not say this thing or do that thing. The judge has no right to do so. There's nothing granting him this authority. And this is not something you can do as a condition of bail. It's completely improper. It hasn't, there's no constitutional um, aspect of bail that allows a judge to do this. But he was trying to basically threaten Trump without going to the level of issuing a gag, knowing uh, the type of problems that would cause for the case. 
So this prosecution, like I said, has due process issues. There's no fair notice that paying for legal services or supporting your own campaign is somehow a crime in the state of New York. You cannot criminally process under the rule of lenity, under the 14th Amendment, because no one had fair notice. So some of the other constitutional issues with this indictment. The indictment violates selective prosecution for targeting someone based on their political views and speech, completely contrary to the First Amendment. The remedy for this? An outright dismissal. The due process clause is also violated. There's no fair notice given that paying for legal services or supporting your own campaign is somehow a crime in the state of New York. You can't criminally process under the rule of lenity the 14th Amendment, because no one here had any fair notice about this. Again, this whole thing could be thrown out on those grounds as well, and should be. What are some additional grounds that this case should be thrown out? Violating the grand jury rules. It's almost guaranteed the prosecutor lied about the law to the grand jury when he explained it to them in that secret room. And further, Michael Cohen likely gave perjured testimony to the grand jury And again, both of these things are also grounds for dismissal. But wait, there's more. Why else should the case be thrown out? Well, this isn't on constitutional grounds, but the statute of limitations has already expired. The statute of limitations in this case is five years. This occurred in the fall of 2017. So in the fall of 2020, or sorry, 2022, the statute of limitations had told, and along with it, preventing the government from being able to bring these charges on President Trump. There's also grounds to stay the case um, with an election coming up. There's constitutional issues bringing this case forward um, in light of the middle of of the election process. There's also grounds for President Trump to have venue change to get a more partial jury. Um, If he were to go to like Stanton Island, the pool would be more balanced and not so uh, blue as, as it were. And so kind of rigged against him. There are so many issues here. I told you we'd have a lot to unpack. Now, what about the other cases not relating to the stormy Daniels, uh, for which president Trump has not been indicted for? Will he, I have no idea. I can do follow-up shows if he is, but it's clear they brought this case in New York because they knew just how weak it was. Uh, the Mar-a-Lago and one six cases, They're likely to be brought in D.C. uh, for similar reasons to this being brought in New York because you obviously have um, a system much more political, much more biased against President Trump. But it's still going to be a little more balanced than in New York because you do have some Trump appointees because that's on that federal bench. Uh, Jack Smith is likely to indict Trump on obstruction of justice and not the actual documents charge. Why? Because that would bring out comparisons uh, to what Joe Biden did, who actually did uh, commit a crime by violating uh, these laws uh, regarding classified documents. So if they're going to say one committed a crime, they got to say both committed a crime, and it's much easier to just conveniently leave that part out so that the comparisons to Joe Biden don't have to get brought into all of this. Now, a Georgia grand jury already formed and has made its votes. And (laughs) the four-person, I kid you not, is an actual practicing witch. 
in a complete nutbag. She's so off the rocker that even Anderson Cooper said, it's embarrassing having this person uh, who was in charge of that Atlanta grand jury. So when President Trump said this is a witch hunt, um, that was actually a lot more literal than you'd think. <laughs> a literal witch. You can't make this stuff up. So what we're really seeing here is the laws being completely weaponized for political purpose. Is this the first time laws have been weaponized in the context of federal politics? Absolutely not. You can go all the way back to the second president's administration, John Adams and Samuel Chase. Samuel Chase was a member of Congress. He was quite outspoken against President John Adams, who passed the Alien and Sedition Acts to silence his opponents, the uh, Republicans, the uh, the good guy, small government guys like Thomas Jefferson. Samuel Chase was jailed and actually won his re-election from a jail cell. Fun fact. And then uh, Eugene V. Debs more recently, that was in 1910 or 1912. He was an out-and-out -out socialist and he tried running for president, but he was sentenced to prison for a year for his political speech. But the mask really has dropped here. I mean, what is going on in this government? It really reminds you of the Bolsheviks. The idea that we don't need the rule of law in a courtroom. All we need is a judge that has a revolutionary consciousness. Get Trump out at all costs. It's great to see he's not capitulating. It's great to see he's exposing what is really going on here and bringing this to public attention. But he has a long road to go in this case. The government is really showing their hand here and that justice and the rule of law certainly don't matter. There's not even a pretense of it. All that matters is that the ends justify the means. So Trump's arraignment was April 4th. And his lead attorney is a man by the name of Joe Tacopina. A little bit on the background here of Mr. Tacopina. He's represented A-Rod and Michael Jackson. In 2019, Mr. Tacopina helped overturn rapper Meek Mill's 2008 conviction for drug and gun possession. Mill's case sparked a national debate on criminal justice reform. Mr. Tacopina has also represented an individual who allegedly maced three officers at 1-6. GQ has described Mr. Tacopina as, quote, the best dressed, smoothest talking, Hardest working criminal defense attorney going, end quote. Hey, we all love our well-dressed attorneys, don't we? <laughs> so here's a quote from Mr. Tacopina after the arraignment, and here he's attacking the indictment, the statement of facts, and the entire prosecution as a whole. The DA said, uh, we have had available to this office additional evidence that was not in the office's possession prior to my time here. So he's talking about some new evidence. Are you aware of what that might be? There's no new evidence. That's been, I'd like to hear him articulate what that is, but there's no new evidence. I've, I've read the statement of facts. Um, it's exactly what we talked about. It's exactly what the United States Department of Justice, the federal prosecutors in Manhattan turned down years ago. It's exactly what the FEC, the Federal Election Committee, had said. There was no FEC violation here. It's exactly what Cy Vance, the former prosecutor in that office, turned down three years ago. There's no new evidence. This is just rehashing a zombie case. A zombie case. Isn't that right? The feds didn't prosecute Trump because Cohen was not found to be a believable witness. And yet here we are. In New York State Court, I guess that doesn't bother them. Now, if I'm Mr. Tacopina, I'm filing a motion to dismiss for all the reasons I've stated to you guys here in this episode. Several 
blatant constitutional violations, completely improper, all of which are grounds for immediate dismissal. But if the defense is unable to win on those grounds, then as a defense attorney, you file other types of motion. Suppression, quash, motions in limine. Why? Well, the strategy for the defense is twofold. First, you want to limit the scope of what the government can use against your client in the case. The more you can get thrown out, the less weapons they have, the less tools they have in their toolbox, and the better the playing field is for you once you get to that trial. Now, the second strategic reason, while you obviously want to win these motions, give your client the best chance to prevail at trial, every time you file a motion, you force the judge to make a decision. When the judge makes a decision against a defendant and the defendant ends up losing the ultimate case, those decisions are appealable. The more times you force these issues, the more opportunities you have to make an argument on appeal should one be necessary, the better chance you are of getting the conviction overturned on appeal. So we'll see what their strategy is here moving forward. But that is the state of things, a blatant political prosecution that uh, anyone who just doesn't have their head completely in the sand at this point can really see what's going on. I suppose that the one positive takeaway, if I must find one, is this blatant corruption is on display for all to see. Again, it's so hard to ignore that more people are understanding how the system works, not just believing in, you know, kind of the schoolhouse rock version of the legal system. I call it a legal system, not a justice system, for a a very, very uh, specific reason. But I'll definitely be following uh, this one, and I'm happy to do follow-up shows as new developments occur as we get rolling with this thing. It's going to be interesting. So, hey, thanks again for tuning in. I really appreciate all you guys. I hope you enjoyed the show. I hope you have a nice night or day wherever you are. Take care. Peace. Do I look like a mind reader, sir? I don't know. Am I under arrest or should I get some more? Well, you was doing 55 in the 54. Uh-huh. Lost in the registration and step out of the car. You carrying a weapon on you, I know a lot of you are. I ain't stepping out of shit, all my papers legit. Well, do you mind if I look around the car a little bit? Well, my glove compartment is locked, so it's the trunk in the back. And I know my rights, so you gon' need a warrant for that. <laughs> Aren't you sharp to attack? Type of law or something, somebody important or something. I ain't passed the ball, but I know a little bit enough that you want to legally search my shit. Well, we'll see how smart you are when the canine comes. Hit me.